0: Welcome back to The Deeper Cut, a podcast ministry of Mercy Hill Presbyterian Church. Glad to have you with us today. My name is Tim Pasek, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and our pastor, Phil Henry. Phil, how are you doing today?
1: Good morning, Tim. I'm doing great. It's
0: good to be back in the studio in a new year. Um, We are recording this on January 9th, and uh, just a quick... um, I guess, show note here. We did not record a podcast last week. We took the week off. Um, and so this is our first podcast of 2023. And, uh, we were, we mentioned in our last episode that we were fielding an away game and were graciously hosted by, uh, Scott Leary, but we have now returned to our, our home studio (laughs) of, uh, Phil's study and, uh. Man, what a study it is! There's been some major changes uh, over the past couple of weeks.
1: Turning over a new leaf. <laughs> we up. have a
0: leather couch.
1: My piles. Yeah.
0: So the we got ambiance lighting. <laughs> I mean, we even you even provided two uh, two guests for us today. I did.
1: So. I did. <laughs>
0: Why don't? Would you mind uh, introducing them? Yes. To our listeners.
1: I think they've both been on the podcast before, but
0: yeah and at the same time i'll note wow okay so that was a a happy accident i think it's two for one. so and joe they,
1: joe, ahead, I'm sorry. joe gamboa is here with us this morning good morning joe
2: hello good morning
1: in the seat happy of to be in the seat of honor the hot seat yeah <laughs> yeah and um aaron gregas is also with us good morning. morning
0: aaron good morning thanks guys for for joining us today you both thanks now I'll have move. the um the honorable distinction of being the first people invited back to the podcast—we'll say that it's an honorable distinction and, <laughs> and nothing else.
1: That's good to hear. Yeah. Du- dubious distinction, Dubious, And yeah. the, uh, uh, the first of the new year, and but the first.
0: We're glad to we're glad to have you back. Um, we we decided to take last week off because we were in between sermon series we had wrapped up. Psalms at the end of December, right around Christmas, Phil head off from preaching duties um on new year's day and so rather than have a podcast about two different sermons, neither of which was preached by either either you or I, we decided let's take a week break and and start afresh with the new sermon series that you just started yesterday, Phil at Mercy Hill on first peter um and I thought. What better way to kick off our conversation this morning than to hear from a pastor himself who prepped the sermon series, decided on what the sermon series was going to be, maybe some of the inner workings or the behind the scenes of how does that come about? So how did you land on 1 Peter? What work? I know that you've done a ton of work in the past year, but maybe you could share a little bit of what goes into starting a new series um, in preaching and it's not a decision that I'm sure you just woke up one morning and said, oh, First Peter, we're going to do that on Sunday.
1: Hmm. So, Yeah, it is a great question. I will start by saying I have, uh, this has been one area of my work as a preacher that I've grown in tremendously over the last 20 years of ministry. I'd say as a beginning preacher, as a rookie preacher, I could barely finish one thing before I started another thing. And, uh, but in my second year of being a pastor, I listened to a, an excellent series of tapes. Do you young men know what tapes are? Have you heard of these things? Actually, sometimes they're called cassette tapes. Cassette tapes. Yep. Yeah. I've seen them. You've seen them. You've heard rumor of them. <laughs> That's right. I actually have an entire box, Tim, of cassette tapes that I have nothing to play it on. <laughs> so. I'm sure they sell a
0: $250 cassette player right yeah, now. Yeah, they'll, they'll oh, look they do? me up real good. Like the record players are coming back, the
1: cassette. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The
2: cassette they have this tapes. little like, boom box that you can you know, play cassettes and it has radio.
1: Yeah, I need to get, to a, get a cassette tape player. <laughs> and I think it has Bluetooth too. It's, uh, it's fancy. Now. Very nice. But they do make them. So the cassette series was by John MacArthur on Preaching. And I was a first or a second year pastor preacher and had to pick me up off the floor after he made this statement. Ideally, you will have finished your study in a book of the Bible before you preach your first sermon in that book of the Bible. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Who, what mortal... I mean, for, for a demigod like John MacArthur, fine. You know, he's got an entire staff and he's brilliant and blah, blah, blah. Well, <clears throat> in this case, 22 years into ministry, 23 years into ministry, I, by God's grace, I didn't finish 1 Peter in, in every sense of the word, but I had translated it and uh, wrote For my own use and the use of some others in our church I wrote a a 10 to 20 page outline overviewing the the book as a whole its major topics and themes uh, an analysis of some of the problematic passages and uh, my take on those passages in in light of commentaries and other scholars and and I've read about Somewhere more than 500, somewhere less than a thousand pages, of, of secondary liter what's called secondary literature on First Peter. Including a book that we'll talk about in a little bit, some of the background, like wh- who's Peter writing to, and where are these people, and what are their social situation? What's their social situation that might shed light on some of the instructions in the book. Mm. <coughs> I think this is very helpful for a pastor and if there's a young preacher that's listening who's currently, you know, passed out on the floor hearing that, you know, I'm I'm no John MacArthur but but uh, uh, an experienced pastor actually did all this work. Well, I have the elders to thank for this because they gave me several weeks off this summer f- for this specific purpose and I devoted one whole week just to 1st Peter and uh, i have my wife to thank for this she's a veteran pastor's wife she supports me in my my efforts and the whole church you know is is uh been walking with me in my preach in my preaching journey of growing as a pastor i've never done this before at mercy hill except my last series in james i was able to do that with some help from a seminary professor as well so um Rome is built in a day, but over the years I have acquired these slowly adding and you know Aaron I think maybe in your your uh, there's a parallel to your field as a as a plumber you know you don't become an expert overnight and you see these old guys and they make something look easy right yeah. so um, do you do you at your point in your career do you find that you're slowly starting to add skills that you didn't imagine you could have had in the beginning.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, But still, uh, in my experience, the best people that I've worked with are the guys that are about to retire because they may not be as fast or, you know, agile as the young guys, but they know, they know the trade and they know all the tricks to make it easier and um the things that you're not taught in school or, or you're not taught uh maybe by some of the younger guys that you work with so I, i'm sure that's true in in many areas of life but um that's just been my experience
1: yeah so that's that's kind of a quick snapshot tim what are your thoughts in response um you know thank you. some of that <laughs> that's my right? response thank you Thanks for,
0: for the work. Yeah, I, I, I knew, um, you know, serving alongside you as an elder at Mercy Hill, I, I knew the work that you were putting in. I didn't know the details, but I knew that you'd been working on this since last summer. Um, it's a, I don't know, it, it, it's kind of, to me, a mystery just like, all right, well, what, what am I going to study in the Bible next? What do I pick? You know I'll just open it up and let the Lord yeah. lead me to something yeah or what is it but that's completely different from prepping an entire sermon series and I don't know how many sermons you have prepared, but to give the listeners an idea, your sermon yesterday was on the first two verses mm-hmm. so this isn't first Peter a chapter per week. we're done in a month. This is first Peter through half the year
1: um, I think the last sermon is scheduled for uh, just before Labor Day. So it'll be about 25. Yeah. Because we'll take a break in the summer and then we'll have a, a special sermon for Easter probably. Yeah, so 25
0: sermons is half, half a year mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. So I mean that that's a, a mountain of work mm-hmm. for, for any, person, <laughs> any person to do. So uh, I appreciate you doing it and spending the time and prepping.
1: So the selection of Peter itself... Why First Peter was also in your question. Yeah, and um, one of the reasons I picked First Peter is because the the collection of New Testament letters that begins with James's letter, the Epistle of James, and ends with Jude. So we're talking James, First Peter, Second Peter, First John, Second John, Third John, and then the little tiny book of Jude those seven letters are known as the Catholic epistles or the general epistles and they have they have one of the reasons that the Holy Spirit affirmed by the church but the Holy Spirit has collected these seven letters together is because they they address the Christian faith from a similar point of view much like Matthew Mark and Luke address the gospel story from a similar perspective; John being different. So, if you read John, John tells the gospel story in kind of a, um, a very thematic way. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell the gospel story in a very uh, more of a uh, of a journey towards Jerusalem way, a geographic way. Likewise, the the Catholic epistles focus on similar themes one of them is trials the other is persecution and suffering and so I was convinced in James that we hadn't fully as a church and this is me praying and walking and thinking studying talking with the people of our of our fellowship that we hadn't fully uh, tapped that though particularly those two uh, suffering uh, and trials for our faith in a hostile context in which the surrounding culture in which we live is generally not supportive sometimes it's neutral you know I drove uh, drove home last night from being out and I didn't get pulled over by the police no one searched my car asked for my ID you know and I'm not packing a gun to protect myself so I was pretty unhindered yesterday in my goings about but there were softer reminders you know the ads in the football game and some of the the things that are in the theater and just generally speaking the way people behave around me Uh, at a restaurant you can see tables and people just generally I I just generally feel that the things that are important to me as a Christian aren't shared by a lot of other people I'm not saying I'm the only one, but Christians in general in our society are are increasingly a minority, and so that theme I think is is a rea- enough of a reality for enough of us that I wanted to continue developing it from James into First Peter, and um, since this is the deeper cut, I thought the best way to transition from James to First Peter was the Psalms. So,
0: why, why do you say that
1: well the Psalms Luther calls them a little Bible so the Psalms speak of the entire story of the people of God in a very short compass in 150 chapters so and each Psalm takes a slightly different angle on mm-hmm. that call to be unique and distinct as we move from Eden to the new creation in the midst of a of a broken and fallen world and I think both James and Peter are a little closer to the Hebrew roots of our religion because of them being Catholic epistles that there's a really nice um, the Psalms complement both of them but it also meant that we got some Old Testament teaching situated in between Two big blocks of New Testament teaching hmm.
0: yeah I could, I could see that I mean we haven't gotten very far in first Peter yet but it sounds like a, a good transition in knowing what I know of first Peter from having read it a number of times it seems like a helpful way for our church to process or understand kind of the the linkage here in in the scriptures mm-hmm. so um going back to james and the jump to first peter uh one of the immediate things that that sticks out to me is just the first verse in the letters <laughs> um and actually you mentioned you know that they're kind of close to the their hebrew roots and james starts his letter to the 12 tribes in the dispersion which is for lack of a better way of putting it a very hebrew thing to say and and peter True. similarly to the exiles right to uh to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion so i guess my question phil is are these two guys writing to the same people similar people same people different times um is there any commonality there or are we to just take this as to the church mm-hmm. you know generally big C church. Mm-hmm. What are your what are your what are your thoughts there or
1: <clears throat> My first thought is I can't wait to preach next Sunday's sermon. <laughs> Cuz I skipped that this Sunday and if 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 you were uh if you were in the sermon, Joe, I know you were there. I didn't talk at all about verse 1 and I really focused on verse 2, which is According to the the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, and I kind of well,
0: if if you want to hold off till next week's podcast, we can we can revisit this question then.
1: I I think that the full treatment of it we should wait till next week, but um, an an exile is someone who is displaced from his or her homeland and there's a certain feeling that a person has when you live in a place that's not your home we were just talking about my dad visited Costa Rica when I 10 or 15 years ago Um, and I think about people in our church that aren't from New Jersey originally I mean I'm an exile because I moved to New Jersey in 2009 and I'm still trying to figure this strange place out <laughs> but um, you know when you're not from a place you are you it's off often awkward um, you don't get it um, you tell jokes that people don't laugh at or they tell jokes that you don't know how to lie. you didn't know you were supposed to laugh you took it seriously um, it's not an easy feeling and so but there's a slight difference to the exiles of James and the exiles of Peter Peter is very much and we'll see this next week very much his whole letter is explicitly utilizing exile theology James it only shows up once and so people think he's actually writing to Jewish believers in classic dispersion areas, you know, cities and countries in which Jews were exiled and remained and never returned. So uh, if you heard my sermon on that verse, I I took issue with, with that limiting exile notion for James. I actually think that James and Peter are closer on this than a lot of the scholarship hmm. suggests, but... Um, In short, it's, it's hard being cut off or separated from your, your homeland.
0: That would be, um, so thanks for the sneak peek. Hopefully that wets your appetite. W-H-E-T. Wets your appetite for, uh, for our conversation next week. But, um, that makes me think of the sermon that you did preach yesterday on verse two primarily and um your title was your life matters so (coughs) that would be something that would be um really important to hear if you were (laughs) in exile because it'd probably be really hard to feel that way or to think that way uh, when everything is foreign and you're not home and in this case maybe you're being persecuted um is that kind of yeah verse two is coming out of verse one in that regard it is. in your preaching yeah.
1: it is so i use the you know it it's a it's kind of a cachet phrase you matter right you know say my name say his name that's a a way of addressing in in some of the race debates that are going on you know say his name you know that that man that woman matters Uh, when when uh, who who was it that attacked the French the French uh, satire uh, media building in uh, Paris je suis Charlie I am Charlie. Uh, was it Charlie Hebdo? You know, this is three or four years ago.
2: I remember the, like, the Just we
1: Charlie, thing. you remember that tagline? Mm-hmm. I'm identifying with someone. Just we means I am. Mm-hmm. So when I say I am Charlie, I'm identifying with someone as in you matter. So I'm taking a common cultural notion of mattering and anchoring it in a biblical norm rather than in a cultural norm and i'm inviting and challenging christians that are listening to do the same and since we all struggle with our identity and again identity is a, it's a huge topic today i had a hunch that most every person listening no matter what stage of their life whether they're in their retirement years Or in elementary school we're all struggling with identity issues particularly regarding our faith so you matter okay how do I know that what's your standard how are you measuring value of the individual self Um, don't get caught up in worldly standards but utilize the standards which scripture provides and because that's such a common topic now, I I also gave a few hints as how it might have been for the first century reader as well, or the, the one who heard Peter's sermon.
0: Yeah, that was going to be my my next question, was it certainly fits in our current day. You know, one of the, the most common three words that you see in the news is black. Black Lives Matter, you know, in that whole True. movement for True. the past several years. So it's easy, I think, I shouldn't say easy, but it's certainly appropriate and, and maybe easier for us now to go, oh, all right, well, yeah, matter. We matter, what does that mean? Was the Bible say we can kinda of, I don't want to say appropriate, but integrate that into what's going on in our lives. But how would that have hit the original mm-hmm. readers or listeners? to this letter that Peter sent out back in the first century
1: so it um, what's so cool about that sermon topic and title you know your life matters or or how do I know that I matter or you matter to God is that it really does I think wind up setting the stage for the the whole book and getting back to the benefit of having a preacher that has done advanced preparation. I know that because I've I've read the whole book in depth over the period of many months. And so one key verse in 1 Peter is that Peter threatens slash commands them to have nothing to do with the vain, empty traditions handed down to them by their fathers, but be holy, sanctified, which is came up in the sermon. So, you know, I, I know that all of us, as men here in this circle, have traditions from our, our dads or our grandfathers that we love. Um... I'm proud of of my heritage. I really am. But there are things about my my family that I'm not proud of at all, some of which are not even appropriate to talk about out loud. It's just, I mean, there's a context for talking about everything. I'm not saying that, but... um, So Peter says that in this letter. So it tells me that the Christians were... Struggling to to live out their new identity and a new way of mattering, um, because Peter had to tell them to stop trying to prove themselves based on things that don't matter, even though they used to matter. <laughs> that isn't too strange way of putting it, I had a quote I wanted to read of a, a related thing. This is from uh, Bernard Greens. Christianity in ancient Rome the first three centuries you know um, our listeners may not realize it but Christians and Jews in the first century in in the Roman Empire were not distinguished until about the uh, AD 60 or so so um, and they didn't even distinguish that much between themselves many Christians continued to go to go to synagogue Uh, many Jews were exploring Jesus as Messiah. It was a time of, um, without a lot of clear definition. So the way Jews were treated by the Romans is very similar to the way the Christians would have been treated. And there's one anecdote, Uh, Martial, writing in about 80 AD observed poor Jews One was taught by his mother to beg, and another was a slave. And then there was a circumcised poet born in Jerusalem who criticized and yet plagiarized his poems. So this is what Green writes on page 12. What infuriates uh, Martial most was that he sodomized Martial's slave boy, the implication being that reminding him of his Jewish ancestry was a rebuke for such behavior. He refers to an actor, this is my, uh, uh, this is what I was going for, an actor whose jockstrap came off while playing a game, revealing to his shame that he was circumcised. This suggests that there were educated Jews who were trying to forget their Jewish heritage. Hmm. So it's such a vivid, and foreign world that I just described and it that sort of detail I think helps us to appreciate how hard it was to be a Christian or a Jew in first century Rome when everyone mocked the Jews as being poor uneducated um stupid I mean literally stupid uh they were the subject of satire they were actually persecuted they're around uh, when Herod Agrippa became the, the king after Philip, his grandfather, passed the Tetrarchy onto him. Herod Agrippa shows up in the Book of Acts. Um, in Alexandria, there was systematic persecution of the Jews, torture, uh, pogroms, confining them to a quarter of the city, restricting their ability to participate in public affairs, the whole nine yards. This is in the first century in Egypt so that's the world that the Christians that Peter's writing to inhabited and I think we've got it pretty good by comparison and yet it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to to see how the persecution that we do experience fits quite well into the environment that Peter's writing
0: yeah I the word that comes to mind is hostile so we kind of live in a hostile world to the church you know so those outside the church are not friendly to us uh, and I don't mean that you know we're necessarily <coughs> at least here uh, in the comfy confines of Pittman, Glassboro, New Jersey you know being persecuted or being you know hate crimes or things like that but The, I think you used the analogy of, the water you're a fish, and the water you swim in. This is not in terms of this particular point, but you used this analogy yesterday in your sermon. You don't even realize because that's just kind of where you are. You know, it's just the water that you're swimming in, and the water that we so often swim in, is. Set against, everything that the Bible would teach us to be true. And even in the, ter- in, in the idea of we matter or do you matter, the world wants to tell us that we matter for all of the reasons that are not the reasons that the Bible tells us that we matter. So we matter because I can make my own decisions and I matter because I'm unique and I create my own value because I can choose whatever I want to be and you have to respect that um and people who who can't choose don't don't matter. I mean I don't want to open up that can of worms but you know we live in a society that is increasingly um, hostile to unborn life you know so they don't matter but as soon as you can make your own decisions then then you matter you know so so my point being is uh, I would agree I can easily, see in my mind's eye how while we're not persecuted the same way as our brothers and sisters in the early church were persecuted we still this is still an appropriate and very pertinent and important message to hear today and take into account and learn to live by Mm -hmm. in a way aaron i thought of you while phil was just talking because you've shared on a number of occasions with me, you know, kind of being on a job site and the kind of guys that you, you're generally working with, um, and you being the only Christian there. And again, not that you're persecuted per se, but it's a, it's a hostile environment for you to be in. I don't know, does this ring true to to you and your experience?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think too often in my life i've i've kind of gone along with it and and not tried to be a distinct person as a christian just to be quiet or um to not really stand up for my faith and um but yeah the idea of of honoring the lord's day or the idea of of you know not objectifying women or whatever it is that we're talking about um some Sometimes the comments that I make, I can tell people kind of look at me a little funny. And it's just, it's something, um, it's something that's natural to these people and was natural to me prior to becoming a Christian. I was hostile towards God and towards my fellow man. Um, and so when you become a Christian and you're still on a daily basis spending time with people who clearly aren't and don't want to be, don't want to even identify with any form of faith or, or religion it uh, it can be tough at times but it's also encouraging to know that uh, really you can sometimes have better conversations with people like that than people who think they're all right mm-hmm. and, uh, and who, who think that they're good enough or they have some form of religion or a tradition that they, they stick to and uh, never really give thought to any of those things. Mm-hmm.
1: Joe you've you've shared with me before i don't know if it was i don't think it was in the podcast but in your field and with some of your colleagues you sometimes say god bless oh right yeah and maybe tell that story because
2: i I love that yeah no i definitely agree with um what tim said and it's evident still today and it's not as like out front as like the persecution but even every you see it, it's not made easier for us to be Christian, like Mm -hmm. getting God out of school and um, just out of (coughs) the country and it's like not a good thing, which Mm -hmm. it it is a good thing. But yeah, so on our trips, we'll be, um, I mean, I talk to everyone and kind of organize and give routes and stuff, so we'll, I'll be going somewhere else and I'll end with a God bless, which is kind of like a <clears throat> Latin American thing is, you know, you leave, you say, you know, or go with God, or God bless, you know, take care. And then by the end of the,
1: like, second... Día tape bendiga, is that how you say it? Sí, Dios lo bendiga. Right. Or con Dios.
2: So when you leave your house, your mom will, you know, bless you and say... God bless. Mm-hmm. Go with God. Um, so by the end of like the second day, <clears throat> it was. Um, I guess it was kind of a joke to them, but to me, it's. I'm literally saying God bless. Like I hope you're. You know. Yeah, you you of... actually
1: mean it. <laughs> yeah. I so, love that. So at the end
2: of the second day, yeah. they they were kind of joking around, um, and some are Christians, not like super. I mean, I'm not the greatest Christian, but they're not super like following right. or didn't right. go to church and all, but. But of the, the end of the second, third day, everyone was kind of, not everyone, but some people would end their um, like interaction where you're on the phone or something or go into a different room and be like, God bless, or like right. saying it like me, but
1: they were saying it, so right. it's kind of like so you helping can, them a little bit. You can work against some of this pressure in, I won't say cute or clever, but kind of mm-hmm. clever ways that don't immediately elicit opposition. But um, there are times where that's really wise and strategic. And Tim, Peter is aware of these nuances, that there's times to go along to get along. So we have honor the emperor in Peter. Now, who would the emperor be? Scholars debate it. It's probably Nero. So Peter says honor Nero. So if you're a Democrat, honor trump if you're a republican honor obama you know and you see the bumper stickers where you've got calvin of calvin and Hobbes urinating on whatever president's name you don't like and that doesn't really fit in the in the scope of peter's instruction so sometimes we wind up tim we wind up standing out or maybe joe this is for you Mm -hmm. as christians because we're just, we're just, um, we're not standing out for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. People will notice that I'm a quote unquote Christian because I'm, I'm a jerk. <laughs> or because I show up late because I'm doing my devotions. Or, you know, maybe I'm evangelizing on the job rather than uh, locking all my billable hours and advancing the company's goals for that day. So these these are all part of the the very uh, finely developed teaching in First Peter that I think is going to be super helpful for us.
2: It's another thing that would get kind of looks at. I mean, I never really like voiced it out in super <laughs> crazy mediums or anything, but it's like to say that just one walk of life matters when you say. Like God would say, everyone matters. Not like there, He wouldn't pick, judge, or pinpoint a specific. Everyone, like everyone and anyone, matters to God. So, mm. when if you get a funny look when you say, "Well, all lives matter," they <laughs> like can rebuttal to the the Black Lives mm. Matter, um, which of course they do matter. But it's all lives matter. Everyone should be in a bubble if we're making bubbles it should be just one big bubble
1: Hmm. so I didn't actually think about BLM when I chose my sermon title Mm. I didn't either it actually didn't come up in my mind until uh, we were talking in preparation for this podcast Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess my, my 30 second viewpoint on that complex topic is as an organization, BLM is blatantly anti Christian. And, and corrupt, it's been. And corrupt. Shown. But as an idea, if there is a, a people group, say Jews, at a, at a certain time in history, say first century, in a certain place, say Alexandria, Egypt, who are being persecuted, then they deserve our special attention and we have an obligation as Christians to care for the weak and those who are downtrodden. Uh, it remains to be seen at some level to what degree uh, in modern society, i.e. 21st century you know, suburban America, persons of minority do experience persecution and being sidelined and, and so forth, um, but... That's a that's a important conversation that Christians should have. We shouldn't dismiss it because it's purely political, but nearly sh- neither should we feel guilted or shamed into adopting all the tenets of a movement which which take us off of our uh, Christian um, calling. So that's kind of my yeah, that's a great path. a bit of a, a safe answer, I guess. I mean, we could be more controversial, and this is not a topic about that. But it is interesting. I picked a title without realizing mm-hmm. some of its implications did you immediately think about that tim when you
0: no it really wasn't until we started talking mm-hmm. um and you were talking about you know just kind of current culture in our society and how um individual importance is kind of a you know current topic of conversation ongoing mm-hmm. topic of conversation and that that kind of comes out in a, a number of different ways. And then immediately I thought of like, where do I keep that word matter seems True. to be bouncing around a lot. Right. And then it clicked in my head. I'm like, clicked. Oh, that, that's why, because we have black lives matter. And then there's people who put white lives matter on their shirts and yeah. every lives, lives matter, yeah. you know? And, and so it really does um, seem to be it's kind a, of a calling card mm-hmm. right now.
1: Um, so it was a happy coincidence. Yeah. But I will say, on on the BLM and then we can maybe go to maybe this is a nice segue anyway there is in advocating for the rights of the oppressed minority there is a decided emphasis on justice that not only excludes God typically I find that it excludes God so it's justice considered purely in human terms but to me, more importantly as a Christian, there's no talk of the value of suffering and the reality of suffering for Christians. And so one of the downsides, again, I think there's a time and a place for for us to identify specific people who are suffering, if it's someone who's black or Hispanic or Asian or, uh, you know, whatever. But our first and foremost identity, and this was the heart of the sermon, is as Christians, not as a minority group, a a human minority group, but as people who've been given a new identity through our baptism, and this came up in the message with the with the idea of ob obeying Jesus Christ and uh submitting to the sprinkling of his blood. Hmm. That's that's who we are. So <clears throat> We're Christians who are black or who are Hispanic or who are white, whatever white is. I mean, for me, white is some combination of English, Scottish, and Native American Indian, because that's what my family history is, because my grandmother is Choctaw Indian. But, you know, I'm not saying I've experienced anything like. Mm what someone living on the res in Shiprock, New Mexico experiences, but um, we all have an interesting polyglot of ethnic traditions and we can probably trace ourselves back long enough to the most important thing about me that you need to know is that I'm a Christian. And that ought to be obvious in the way that I think about why I matter.
0: Um, you, I've heard you say in many contexts, actually, Phil, I, I, I think particularly of our school of discipleship and the first class that we always start that with, but what is your standard? You know, what are your a priori mm-hmm. assumptions going in? And so this idea of why do you matter or what matters or what makes you matter seems to me to be that exact conversation It of is. what is, what is the standard by which you are determining what's important or why you're important and that's why i think we need to hear what peter has to say about this just as much as the original listeners did because i think this might have been your your fish in the ocean um analogy in your sermon but we don't live in a world that tells us or abides by the the correct standard the biblical standard the true standard.
1: Especially today in this matter of accepting unjust suffering. Hmm. And that's going to be a, a, a challenging, recurring theme in Peter.
0: I, I had read this quote this morning, Phil, from a commentary on 1 Peter. That I haven't read the whole commentary, so I can't speak to the value. I think it's Greens, Joel Green. Does that sound right? Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, in his intro, um, he writes, To read 1 Peter is to be told not how we might think about God, but what God thinks of us. Here in 1 Peter is an invitation to adopt God's way of seeing things and to live accordingly, perhaps better. 1 Peter offers not so much an invitation as an exercise in formation in the character and ways of God. Wow. So I thought that that was a pretty good... I mean... I read that after I listened to your sermon and went, I feel like that's exactly what Phil said, more or less. Um, I don't
1: have Green's commentary, and I, I haven't read it, but he's an excellent... Um, he, I'll say he's, he's a very good theologian and one that I've benefited from.
0: Yeah, I, I haven't read but, through the whole commentary, but it's, but...
1: it's encouraging to me to hear that because that is what I'm, you know with my stethoscope and I'm trying to get the heartbeat of Peter that reminds me of what I've been a lot more eloquent but uh, what I've been picking up in the letter
0: I felt like I said it I felt after I, had, I just listened to your sermon again and then I had read that mm-hmm. and I went man that I feel like I just heard 30 minutes of that from Phil mm-hmm. of this the standard is God's standard and he's trying to invite us into seeing things from his perspective. And he actually says that it's not an invitation, it's an exercise. So it's not like, here, just view it this way. It's do something. And I think that's what a lot of the rest of First Peter is going to be mm-hmm. about, is how do you live that out um, in, the, in the context. But it seems to me a, a, a really big challenge, even for us as Christians right now, is trying to not get caught up in, oh of course I matter, but I think I matter because of all these other things. And you named a bunch of of, of options kinda in your intro, mm-hmm. you know, because you're a good worker or you know, you have a family or you know, your parents told you that you matter, or, you know, I'm thinking of I have two little kids who are going to preschool and I don't know what they're being taught per se i mean they're real little so it's just coloring pages and whatnot but i can think of growing up myself and teachers tell me oh you know you're important because you're you you know well number one that's a tautology but beyond that like what does that even mean you know that doesn't really carry any weight but that's what we're taught like you are beautiful and you're important because you're you Hmm. Okay, (laughs) well, you know, that puts me at the center of the universe, you know, and I'm important because I'm me.
1: So Christians come into the fellowship of the church with these messages burned into their psyche, soul. And we have the opportunity, uh, and by we... Tim I'm thinking you and I as elders in the church as pastors but all four of us as men as we interact with a visitor or even one another offline and and, you know hanging out together or you know with our families or eating together to help one another in the exercise of forming Christian character in the nitty gritty so like Are you going to forgive your brother for the sin that he committed against you last week? Or are you going to just bury it and say, "Ah, whatever? I mean, that's, Hmm. it doesn't get more practical than that. And for this reason, I think men will tend to stay away from church because either they're afraid of that sort of exercise or they've tried it and others in the room weren't joining them in it and so you know a a lot of us as guys are like once bitten twice shy I'm not doing that so um, if I can think of like the top five problems pastoral challenges we're facing right now at Mercy Hill thinking of generally but also specific individuals or families they're all related to this matter of The exercise of being formed as Christians, really Christians, acting really and truly as Christians. Uh, Here's a quote from my bedroom this morning as I was talking to my wife. Honey, I think our marriage would have been a lot better if I had followed the instructions of the Bible more. And I told her this, I kind of whispered it into her ear as I was giving her a morning hug. She said, same goes for me. I said, wait a minute, you mean you are doing the same thing that I'm doing, which is not listening to the Bible instead of operating on your own sort of program? So we were sort of teasing each other. What I specifically had in mind was uh, take this, this, the plank out of your own eye first, and then you can see clearly to help your brother or sister with this little tiny speck that's in her eye. I thought, man, like, if that's not marriage advice that I have not followed. <laughs> I am quick to point out all of my wife's specs. And I've got planks just, you know, extending in all directions out of my eye. My...
0: Joe, give him a hand with that, if you don't mind.
1: Sorry, I've hit you in the head with one of those planks. It's okay, I'll take it.
2: How how do... Um,
0: let me ask our guests. So, how do you think you can kind of apply what phil had preached on yesterday just like some simple things um, in terms of restructuring in your mind or how you're operating um, to get in alignment with what god tells us you know why we matter so any any practical thoughts or um, considerations we can share
2: others in the church, Aaron or Joe? Yeah, I'll go if you want. I think Pastor Phil nailed, or hit the nail right on the head. Um, Just even, I guess, hearing and telling yourself you matter and why you matter, which you nailed it, which was if he died and, like you said, sprinkled the blood for us, then that's really all we need to think of, and then everything else should be kind of not a big deal. Hmm. Just reminding yourself that, like what you
1: said, or that phrase, I think would help a lot for a lot of people. That, Some, Joe, that clear. that way of, of phrasing it is unique to Peter, but sometimes we've used the, the little saying at Mercy Hill, and it's not unique to us, preach the gospel to yourself. Mm-hmm. So what you just did is you packaged that gospel in Peter's language you know he died he sprinkled you with his blood you matter that's preaching the gospel to yourself mm-hmm. and if you're struggling in your marriage or you're as a dad or in, in, in your vocation or with your family yeah you need to regularly preach the gospel to yourself that's great mm-hmm. I think doing that would just be
2: for a lot of people that it's huge. listening that don't read or do that but just a little simple like you said tell yourself what you read or believe mm-hmm. it reaffirm it to yourself I think that would help
0: you got any thoughts Aaron?
3: yeah going back to uh, one of the points you brought up and, and something Phil hinted at too every day um, whether it's television or the things we read uh, we're always, there's always an agenda behind what we hear and every idea uh, that we have really has consequences on how we view God, how we view the world around us. Um, so if we just accept a, a blanket statement that everyone matters for no reason in particular, they're just because, you know, you just matter by virtue of being a human being, then there's really nothing substantive about it. And then the other thing that's always pounded in our head is that you only matter because of what you can offer or the reality that you can create mm. um, for yourself or uh, in your life. But adopting a scriptural worldview tells us that we matter because we're, primarily because we're made in the image of God. We have inherent dignity. And that even in a fallen world where that image of God is marred in the way we, we act out you know, how we're supposed to be living, that we still retain that dignity in this life. But even more than that, like what Peter was saying, we matter because before the foundation of the world, God loved us and he chose us in Christ. And that now that we are in Christ and united to Christ, our value and our worth comes from his perfect life and his value and worth, which is infinite. And so by virtue of being united to Christ, we do matter uh, to God, And we do have value, not inherent in ourselves, not anything that we uh, have created, but that God himself has has given to us and and gifted to us. So I think as we think of it in that way and we combat the um, unbelieving and godless ideas that we're constantly bombarded with, uh, adopting what the Bible tells us and what God tells us is important, and I think it helps us to live... Uh, faithfully as Christians especially in a world where there is suffering Um, and obviously our situation is different than the uh, Christians in the first century but even in this life we are elect exiles we're uh, we're moving towards the new creation and that's our our final home but as we live in this world the the, this old order of things that's not yet been renewed completely uh, we we certainly need to remember that and to uh, thank God and to live our lives as members of God's kingdom in this world of of sin and death. Mm-hmm.
1: It's excellent I and <clears throat> to talk about the podcast we're attempting to extend the glow of how we feel on Sunday morning and and I feel the same thing I feel extremely grateful when Christ speaks to his people in the preached word. It's not something Aaron to your point it's inherent in me. I'm not any godlier than anybody else but I've been appointed to a task and God graces uh, he charismatizes me with his spirit to say what we need to hear including me. I'm the first one to hear the sermon by the way Mm -hmm. and if it breaks my heart or melts my heart or brings me joy, I know it's probably going to help break, melt, or in, in, enliven other people too. Because uh, if I need it, it's a pretty good assumption that others need to hear it too. And so, you know, yesterday's message, I talk about swing thoughts sometimes, was I want to make a simple and concentrated focus on Christ at the beginning of the new year in light of all of our troubles. And, uh, I shared that, I think with maybe my wife or she, she didn't hear the message, but my daughter or my mom. And I, and I think Stasi said, yeah, yeah, we, we got that. So, but, um, Aaron, something else you said, which was so helpful, your words were so helpful. added mattering for the christian is that we become his agents in renewal so joe's god bless becomes a little point of of heavenly light in the circle of his colleagues that extends heaven's graces which have settled on him and his household a little farther than it would have otherwise and so we're beating back the darkness we're Reforming and renewing, uh, humanly speaking, the ultimate renewal is a transcendent, cataclysmic change that only Christ can accomplish in his return. But we are to work for extending the kingdom in our, in our respective callings. So that's the added mattering. Like I actually have work to do today, you do too, in your vocation of whether it's finance or in the trades or in media. Whatever, your, whatever it is, to shine the light in the love of the Lord. And it's, it, it involves an extreme amount of intelligence and discernment and nuance, when to be silent, when to speak up, when to be bold, when to be meek, when to take it on the chin, turn the other cheek, walk two miles. You know the, That statement by Jesus isn't like, hey, if your buddy's going on a hike, offer to go for a second mile. It's when someone compels you like a slave. When, you're, when your employer forces you to work overtime, you agree to work more and you don't complain about it. It's that sort of being under compulsion against your will and against your better judgment and against your wishes. It's that's what he means, go two miles. You know, how do you know? Uh, or if your boss is an oppressor, if you file a complaint with human resources because that's wrong to treat people like that. And that honors God. I mean, I don't know how a guy makes those decisions, or a, a woman, and it's a thousand times every single day mm-hmm. in the workplace, in the modern secular workplace. It's exhausting. And so, again, to the point of the message, you matter. I wanted there to be a tranquil, pacific experience of gospeling where you can just breathe for a minute and say, okay, all right, it's the new year. I'm going to be okay. God's with me. God's got this. And uh, we can do this. Mm-hmm. We can keep one more year of of hammering out our faith on that crooked, twisted, crooked, twisted road of life. I don't have to give up. Um, uh, uh, the Lord is with me. I've been sprinkled by the blood.
0: <laughs> right. Absolutely. And one thing you said in the sermon, Phil, that I found so helpful is that let's be careful not to to preach to ourselves a half gospel. Mm. So it's not just that <clears throat> Jesus died to pay for our sins and now we're sinless people. It's that we have been given all of his righteousness and his obedience to our account. So we're not coming from a state of neutral here. We're coming at the work that you're talking about, we can enter into that work from a, from a state of we're like infinitely ahead. Because in God's book, we are completely righteous, compl- not just forgiven, like we're, we're accepted. We're great. We're fully, great with fully God, accepted. 100%. Yeah. Right. And so, one of the things that I struggle with a lot and talk to guys about a lot is how do I find rest in the midst of all the stress of work? and church and kids and wife and everything else it's just so much stuff and i can't rest isn't just be lazy and don't do anything
1: most, rest of, the, comes, most of the time right. <laughs> sometimes you do need to unplug hard sure,
0: sure but but the idea is that you you can find rest in the fact that your position with god is secure complete and full so no matter what i do i'm not earning anything more you know so so i don't have to feel the pressure of like oh man i've really screwed up bad today. Well i really screwed up bad today that that means i have freedom to repent of that and try again tomorrow. Nor
1: do you have to say yes to everything either, right?
0: Right. Right. So so the, so the work that we do have and i completely agree. Yeah. And it's a good reminder that mm-hmm. we aren't to just sit back and shelter in place until Christ comes again. But but we we can do that work or we can be encouraged to do that work because we're not working for, we're not working for our salvation. We're working out our salvation.
1: Amen. Good distinction. So good distinction.
0: um, And that's because we matter, right? Mm -hmm. This all comes back to what you, what you had preached on and what Peter had preached on Mm -hmm. basically um, way back in the day. So just a great reminder, um, especially at the beginning of, of a long week ahead um yeah. gonna, i'll strive to get this out as quickly as possible so, okay. so everyone else can benefit from hearing this early in their work week but i mean we got nothing but time ahead of us mm-hmm. so, so uh helpful no matter when when you might be listening to this any last thoughts as we wrap up here today from uh from the crew thanks again guys for joining us no problem
1: yeah happy to
3: be here um just going back to like what you just said a closing thought um we can, we can rest in, and, and going back to the sermon as well, the, the idea of Christ's active obedience, that he's earned the, uh, the right for, for heaven for us. He's not only dealt with our sins, but that he's lived a positively righteous life that's imputed to us. So he's earned God's rest for us, and now we live our lives from that rest. And obviously, uh, it's not consummated yet, and so we have work to do. But even in the work we do, we, we know that uh, God's, God's gifted us heaven and that eternal Sabbath rest uh, through Christ's obedience. That's ours now. Um, and so we live our lives from that. That's why we worship on the first day of the week instead of the seventh day. Because we're no longer working to and striving to enter into God's rest. We have by, by the work of Christ entered into god's rest and we live our lives from that rest in a already not yet sense um, as we still are waiting the final consummation rest so it's encouraging to know as we go about our weeks um you know following the lord's day that we're we're not striving to enter into god's rest we're not striving to earn god's favor we're not striving to fulfill the works of the covenant like because christ has done it for us and so we live our lives from that and we act out our faith before others as agents of the world to come in, in this old order of the world that's not yet been made new mm. and so that should be an encouragement that when we're with unbelievers and when we're with um, our family members who maybe don't know christ or uh, at work among others i mean we are we're ambassadors of the new creation of the world to come breaking through into the present that's what a a Christian is that's what a church is Mm -hmm. and so certainly if that's true it should have a a positive effect on the world around it
1: we don't have time to open up a new thread here Tim but it um, it certainly follows from what Aaron is saying that our obligations are not, are free. This is how I would summarize what you were saying, Tim. We're free to work for Christ. In that Petrine, Pauline sense, freedom in Christ, we're free. It's the easy yoke that Jesus talks about in Matthew 11. Right. Okay. So that's how I'd summarize what you're saying. But we are obligated. And the obedience to Jesus Christ, and I, I, I attempted to... To explain why I thought Jesus was the particular object of or commander of our obedience, there in, in the message. The sprinkling of the blood with that passage from Exodus 24 obligates us. And so law doesn't disappear for the Christian, it just changes in character instead of being um, an, an, an obligation. That anticipates God's favor, it's an obligation that flows out of God's favor.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that is difficult to keep straight in your mind. Mm-hmm. And for me anyway, sometimes it winds up being a bit of a an exercise in rethinking, Joe, re-gospeling myself. Okay, the reason I'm doing this is not because I have to. God already loves me. I've chosen to do this as, a, as an expression of my loving obligation under the sprinkled blood to jesus christ and so that's going to enable me to navigate the hardships that are sure to come
0: yeah that, that's helpful um we've already gone long so we won't we won't go down that rabbit hole maybe another time but
1: um, his blood comes up many times in first yeah Peter, so. yeah
0: i mean it, it's um it's a covenant that God keeps, but it's still a covenant with us that we have to keep. It's between us and God, so right. it's not like there's nothing for us to do. So yeah, we'll, we'll I'm sure have many more opportunities in yes, the next we will. nine months to, to talk about to talk about this. But that's all we'll we'll uh, we'll talk about today. Thanks again for joining us on the Deeper Cut. We'll endeavor to do even better next week, um, but until then, we pray that you would have a, a blessed week and uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll steal my brother's uh, outro here and say God bless you today, have a good day.